0: To that Bears game last week? Yeah, hello game,
2: hello game. Snap is back to Hoyer. Throwing open. Howard breaks a tackle. 15 10, 5, end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Bears.
0: Don't, don't, stop. don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. A team that is known as
2: the
0: Bears.
2: Way fake. Huntler side sidestepped to the pocket, avoiding pressure. Now winds up throwing deep down the right side, going for Jeffrey. He makes the attempt inside the 10 yard line. Down near the five! Throw it up and get it, Jeffrey did! Jeffrey outleaps him 49 yards! It's like a a Bears Hour, live! With Lauren Cox and the draft doc, Phil With
0: Whitney, as always, are the superfans. I'm
2: smarter than the average
0: bear. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of Bears Hour Live. This is Lauren Cox along with Phil Atosian breaking down the Bears' loss to the New York Giants. It was another game where the Bears came out firing from the start, had a nice 10 point lead in the first half, looking pretty good. Offense was clicking, defense had Eli Manning's number for the most part. Then the Bears faced their dreaded worst enemy of the season, the third quarter, and really struggled at the second half, came out pretty stagnant, allowed the Giants to score on two straight drives to start the third quarter, and that was really the end of the scoring for the game. Both teams missed a field goal from there, and the, the Bears completely died out and ended up losing their eighth game of the season. Now, Phil, obviously I think the big story of the game is injuries. Uh, which, which injury do you think – Hurts the most because you're looking. You're looking at obviously, the LeBlanc probably isn't quite up there. You got Zach Miller leaving with the foot injury, uh, Josh Sidney leaving with the ankle injury, and then of course Leonard Floyd's scary neck injury. And I think if if this if these are going to be serious injuries, what is more, what is more painful for this team, the fact that Floyd is going to miss out on this development, or the fact that you you're down another Pro Bowl guard or that you're down your number one tight end while you're already missing your top two receivers? What, which of these injuries hurts the most?
2: I think it's c- clear that when you're looking at this football team, the future is most important with a winning football team that isn't winning. So the Leonard Floyd injury clearly crushes your soul here because what he was becoming as a threat in the pass rush as well as a Ryan Pace first-round pick, one both of us criticized. Here he is stepping out and becoming an intricate part of that defense. To have him lose, lost rather, in the way with which he was injured, being carried out on a cart with a possible neck injury that could be bad, is for his development as well as the team's, is really a huge loss
1: for this football team. Well, and it it, it really, um, you know, it was nice to see that he was able to move. You know, it wasn't, it could have been a lot worse, especially with the way his head and his neck kind of banded there. But it does kind of point to a problem with he and Cravon LeBlanc both leaving the game with, you know, head neck injuries after leading with their head trying to go in for tackles LeBlanc obviously missed his tackle and Floyd his head just went right into Akeem Hicks he didn't he wasn't really close to making his tackle too so do you blame the defensive coaching staff here at least partially for these injuries because of the poor technique by both of these injured players suffering head injuries by leading in with that head
2: honestly I bl- you can't really blame the coaches for that I I Look at the LeBlanc injury. I think that's just embarrassment. Maybe he got dinged up or whatever, but he had an opportunity to stop a big fourth down play and mark that down as a critical play in this game. He goes in with piss-poor technique. That's on him. He's in the right position to make the play. He needed to use the sideline as another defender, and he just throws his body. And if you're going to throw your body, you need to throw your body across the bow of the runner, And taking him out of bounds and shutting that play down, he throws his body, gets his head hit the ground. I don't know how serious his injury was. But the other play, you know, you want to see Floyd not dip his head uh, for those like you do. The one thing you never do inside a contact is dip the bow of your head down. It causes so much weakness to those neck muscles and that neck itself and he did the dreaded thing he dipped his head down and you just hope that he's okay i just i don't can't blame the coaches lauren for the, the uh the momentary lapse of focus he had to bowl his neck and get ready to make that play but it's a it's very unfortunate because even i was excited to see uh leonard floyd taking these steps forward and you know We talked about this on the pregame show with us, and we talked about it on the podcast. I I know me and Jose Cotto, who's live down at the Meadowlands, had a great vision of the football game. We talked about the importance of Zach Miller, what he'd be in a replacement to Alshon Jeffrey. And you could see in the first half he really was losing him really hindered the process of the offense being able to move and attack in the seams because ultimately, and again, I hate to toot this whistle so many times, but you got a banged up Eddie Royal. You got Logan Paulson for God's sake, (laughs) as a backup and you have no interior weapons to help you. Uh, This would have been the freaking perfect game for Daniel Braverman to work the inside and give you that four, 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 three, five speed that he has. There's a reason he was getting open in practice, and the reviews of him from the players I've spoken to continues to dominate practice. At what point can you just bring the kid up and see what you have? Now that you're two and eight, it doesn't matter against the Giants. But ultimately, it's just frustrating to watch this football team be
1: coached by this offensive coordinator. Yeah, you know it's it really says a lot that you know Zach Miller left late in the second quarter and like you said, having a, of a great first half, he had three catches for sixty one yards and a touchdown, and he finished as the Bears' leader in receiving yards with those three catches. <laughs> I mean, Cameron Meredith had more catches than him four, but he only had four for forty nine yards. I mean, they could not get anyone else going through the air on offense. I mean. Jordan Howard was in position for a, a number of nice plays, but those three drops, although I don't know if you caught the third one, it was it was a bit of a contested catch, but it was a beautiful ball from Jay Cutler downfield, in between double coverage, it got to Jordan Howard's hands, he couldn't come down oh. with it, it's, it's still a drop, but it's not, it's not nearly as bad as his first two drops on back-to-back plays, I think, in the third quarter, maybe the beginning of the fourth quarter, I don't remember exactly when those plays happened, but... You know, he, he received, he actually led the team, Howard did, with eight targets, but only one of them was caught for, it was a 22-yard gain, but still, you, you need to see better hands from him and Marquise Wilson, who both had passes right into their hands and, and dropped them, and they could have probably ultimately surpassed Zach Miller in receiving yards, but that was kind of the story of the game again, where Jay Cutler was throwing some great passes outside of that last interception. I thought he had a, one of the better games of the season, and guys weren't catching it, guys aren't getting open. And ultimately, you saw the offense fall apart in that second half, and in in large part, too, because they got away from the running game again. I mean, Jordan Howard finished with 17 carries, but I I don't have the first half numbers off the top of my head here. But for the majority of those, let's see, first half, he had 12 carries. So he carried the ball five times in the second half. Again, unacceptable when you go to halftime with a lead and, you know, you play through the third quarter. And and even as you fall behind, you have to run the football, and they got away from it once again.
2: Yeah, they did. And then you look at the final drive. I mean, I'm in my living room, you know, looking at the feel of an offensive coordinator who's a professional and that is being coached to steal a line from the donut smuggler on Twitter. Uh, Excellent follow at donut smuggler. It looked like a JV coached offense and, And I'll tell you why. Because there you are. You hit a big play to Bellamy across the middle. You're down at the 30. There's two minutes to go in the ball game. That opens up your whole arsenal of offense. Uh, Looking at that offensive line, Lauren, the pathetic thing was they can't pass pro. And Jay Cutler picked himself up off the mat time and time again. You can hate a lot of things. You can hate Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, You can hate and be hateful in your life. That's on you. But to watch the guy pick himself up, I thought the commentators were doing an excellent job. And someone who played with Jay Cutler standing up for the guy, for the reality of the situation, he was getting killed out there. But time and time again, delivering football. This isn't a game to to have a parade against Jay. Shut your mouths. Listen to actual football people, and then learn that yeah, the time for Jay is probably over here in Chicago. But ultimately, rooting against the reality of a, of a guy trying to help your franchise win is just dumb. But getting back to my point, Lauren, because I got fired up for a second. You're down at the thirty. It's two minutes to go. It opens up your whole arsenal. Take some pressure off the offensive tackles and the guards use some trap blocking, sprint draw, run the ball at the giants who are backed up on their heels, they're nervous. They're, they they got to cover everything, they're going to be in man coverage. They might run a blitz, you might catch them in a situation where they miss one tackle and you got to run it back into the secondary. That's feel for coaching. That's feel for football. All of a sudden, you're just allowing him to drop back and, and allowing the Giants to pin their ears back. That's their best part of their defense is their secondary corner and, and Jenkins and their pass rush, and you just play into their strength. And that's the stupidity that you have as your head coach kicking a field goal from 51 yards. Also. Your offensive coordinator, Lauren, it's just pathetic. And it really is a lack of focus and ability to coach in big situations.
1: And we even saw it in the first half. You know, it was almost, it, it felt like, I think it was the Jacksonville Jaguars game where the Bears are leading at halftime and, and you still kind of felt like, oh, geez, they're going to blow this. Uh, was that the Jaguars game we talked – I'm, I'm getting my games. Yes, games. yes. Or, or was that the Colts game? Yeah. But but even – you know, like there was that third down play. They were up 13. It was, it was third and eight, and they, were, they weren't in the red zone. They were at the 24-yard line. Screen pass to Eddie Royal for two yards on third and eight after your offense had driven down, you know, 40 yards down the field on some nice runs, nice throws from Jay to Zach Miller. I mean, th- third and eight screen pass at the end of the first quarter – I mean, th- th- there's your signal that oh boy, what is, what's, go- what's Dalalagan's gonna do in the second half? What's this game gonna happen? And you, you saw it. it. It was it was exactly what we've seen all year. Bears play really well, do some really great things in the first half. The second half, the Giants adjusted and the Bears didn't. And, and, and as you know, with Zach Miller going out and Josh Sitton going out, the Bears' offense just completely tanked. As Jay was like you said, picking himself up off the mat, running around, missing. Sacks and, and trying to get the ball off downfield, then you know then Jordan Howard's dropping passes, Marquise Wilson's dropping passes, everything's going wrong, and that's your story of your two and eight Chicago Bears all season, really. I mean, Connor Barth's mixed extra point and missed field goal were kind of just <laughs> the cherry on top. It's like yeah, of course, you know, at this point, of course, at least Robbie Gold didn't get to have the last laugh. You know, he he was just as bad. So there's no there's there's at least no hard feelings there. I think.
2: Yeah, but.
1: Still, ultimately, the,
2: the kicking was a scratch. Uh, you did see O'Donnell take a step forward. We challenged him this week to start punting the football today. He had a great day punting. Yeah, give he heard that. Us. And I, I feel as though the story of the Bears' season was in the fumbled punt where Josh Bellamy's right there hits off his pads, you can't control it, and then the Giants get the football. It's like those little plays that don't go on the score sheet. Ultimately, you gotta play a picture-perfect game. It's really hard to do when you have horrific coaching. And If anything, this game tells you is the story of the pathetic coaching that you have in Chicago with the offensive side of the football and the head coach making decisions. Now, here's one quick point, Lauren, going back to the Connor Barth 51-yard field goal. I don't know how John Fox is going to play this. His wind was at the back. I feel comfortable. You didn't feel comfortable in a dome, yet you're feeling comfortable in the Meadowlands where the winds could swirl and do whatever. If you're going to go for it, go for it. Have some cojones. And challenge your team to get a first down, much like the Giants did to you twice in that football game, going for it on fourth down and continuing to scoring d- drives on both of those
1: fourth down conversions. Well, and I, I haven't heard any anything from Fox on that front, but I did just see um, Zach Miller has a broken bone in his right foot, the same foot oh, that he had geez. broken a bone in previously. So that, that will probably end his season, at least at this point. And then – uh, Leonard Floyd is receiving treatment at the hospital, but it sounds like he, he's been passing all of the movement tests and all the really important uh, protocols and such for, for those neck injuries at the hospital. So uh, I guess that's good news on the Floyd front and obviously bad news on the Zach Miller front. It's going to be a lot more Logan Paulson. And, and we actually did see a lot of Ben Broniker in this game. He didn't get a target, I don't believe, but he played 28 snaps to Logan Paulson's 33. So I think it's clear. there's clearly... Some some more playing time for Bronker in the future. They maybe aren't as happy with Logan Paulson's play as his own agent is, but <laughs> but maybe we'll get maybe <laughs> that'll be the sign that we'll get to see some more from the young players. And I'm I'm gonna bring in our first caller of the day. Uh, caller, what's your name and where you calling from?
0: It's the Pesos Man.
1: Live there. He from is. the Metal There he is, live from New Jersey.
2: It's Dos pesos. We're trying to find a tall building. <laughs> Jose, <laughs> talk about what you saw. You had a firsthand view on what transpired in this game. I know sometimes you're up in the stands. It's hard because other people are interrupting and what have you. But the whole energy of the game, the Bears are up at half. They come out in the second half and continue to do what they've done all season is they don't have any adjustments to other teams' adjustments. Talk about it. Well, like you said, I mean, it,
0: it, was just, it was just more of the same. And even when you're going into the half with that lead, you're not completely comfortable with it. One, because of the Zach Miller injury, he was the mismatch in this game. We talked about that on the preview show. And second, because you had that first drive that was very effective, effective. but we know that that's a script. And you can't trust Dow Loggins to have any <laughs> any sort of strategy or any feel for the flow of the game or any adjustment. And it was just more of the same. I mean, really, we can pin this one on him. We can pin it on the offensive line. Um, to be completely fair, you know, Jay Cutler didn't receive the protection that that you'd like to see for an NFL quarterback, but when you have the angle that I had, you can see where there's open receivers and he's holding onto the football a tick or two too long. There were a number of plays where that did happen. I mean, I'm not going to say that happened all game, and I'm not going to pin it on him, but there were a number of plays where he did have an option an open receiver, and he saw the he he made his read too late when he's attempting to get the ball up. Uh, one in particular that comes to mind is that. Uh, ball that was short to Meredith in the fourth quarter there was some pressure in his face but before Meredith made his break you could see he was going to be wide open and Cutler did not get rid of the ball before at that point there wasn't pressure in his face and he could have gotten rid of the football before Meredith made his break Um, he didn't have a perfect game the back shoulder drop that uh, Marquise Wilson had If Jay Cutler does not throw that football back shoulder and leave him There was no safety help. He had two or three steps on Jenkins. That could have been a huge gain. It was very similar to the play that you saw in the fourth quarter where he hit Wilson in stride. So that's a play that would have probably swung the momentum your way and made a huge difference. But, unfortunately, you know, it was another – it was a a third down, failed third down, which has been the story of the season. I mean, they've been awful on third down.
1: Well, and – Bringing up some Jay Cutler numbers here from the initial run of the PFFs look at the game, they had Jay Cutler under pressure on 16 dropbacks as compared to 19 with no pressure. Uh, On those 16 plays under pressure, he was 3 of 12 for 64 yards and an interception. With no pressure, he was 14 of 19 for 188 yards and a touchdown. So clearly the uh, offensive line play ended up being a huge difference, at least in his individual performances where You know, with with Jordan, and I think you said the same thing for Jordan Howard on a lot of those plays when he's getting met by defenders in the backfield, there's not much he can do. But when they were at least getting somewhat of a push up front, he's able to break a tackle, get some momentum before contact to be able to extend those runs even farther downfield.
0: What What do you have for those preliminary numbers for Jordan Howard in terms of how they ran the football? I mean, was it me or was there an inordinate amount of uh, losses? (laughs)
2: <laughs> they just,
0: yeah, was, they just kept, they just kept going to it, and it wasn't <laughs>
2: effective after the first quarter. They kept running the toss play, Jose. The toss right, the toss right, toss left. Whoever the short side of the field, they're gonna run toss. I don't know what kind of coaching that is, but it seemed like that's that was part of their game plan to out. Smart themselves. I hear you. The predictability of it—you have nothing coming off the toss play. How about a toss fake, boot, with a waggle coming in the back door? How about that? You just don't see that. But
0: right, you saw one toss fake where they handed it to Lacique for a first down, but that—that that was the only play that they ran to to complement what they did all game. It's just, they're just—it's never an adjustment from this offensive staff. It's, it's awful. Just to throw one other thing out that's unrelated, but in the second quarter, there was a, a play that really could have taken the Giants out of the game and broken their back early in the game. The, the drop interception by Adrian Amos. Oh. They were in main coverage. He's playing the robber. He jumps the crosser, and that sideline was completely clean. He had a pick six. You
1: definitely yeah, need the to the see Giants, better from him. And I was counting the the pitch runs from Jordan Howard, and I think the number I've got is eight. Eight out of his 17 carries. But I'm trying to double check that while I'm while I'm reading while I'm talking at the same time. And I'm not quite numbers aren't quite going clearly in my head. I'm losing track. But I'm pretty sure it's eight of his 17. It might be seven, but still that's a little ridiculous. I mean, the first couple he had one that went out for 27 yards and one that went for 12, but the rest of them were. Not good. The Giants figured that one out pretty quickly. And that Jose,
0: four pitches too many.
1: Yeah. And Jose,
2: talk about what this means for this football team going forward. You lost Zach Miller. It seems to be that you lost Leonard Floyd. Josh Sin got banged up. He might be out for some time. Look at this team now. I mean, this was a winnable football game. What does this say to you? and the fans, about John Fox's future with the Bears?
0: Well, clearly you need change. And, I mean, the loss really could be a blessing in disguise. I don't think it would have been a positive to go out there and win a handful of these upcoming games and buy John Fox another season or two. At this point, it's time for change. All of the things that we've discussed, the, the Bears being heavily penalized, the lack of halftime adjustments, the the fact that guys on their couch can tell you what play you're going to run. All of these things indicate that you don't have a good head coach and you don't have a good coaching staff. And obviously change needs to happen. The other thing is the number of injuries here. I mean, it's just been...
2: It's a, it's a comedic It's a war of attrition,
0: man. and guys oh, yeah. are just dropping like flies, it's just game after game. The one thing that you hoped for for the remainder of the season was the development of these young players with, of course, uh, with with that group, of course, being headlined by Leonard Floyd with Kevin White being out. and That was just the worst thing that could happen, is Floyd being injured in a game that really, in the grand scheme of things, is going to be deemed meaningless when
2: we look back at this season. it's a great point, Jose, because you look at it. Earlier, Lauren asked me, I thought that was the biggest loss for the Bears because of Kevin White, because of that first-round status. Now you have that falling onto Leonard Floyd, and... The critics are often going to come out there. You know, Leonard Floyd has proven to me for the record that this guy is a football player as you deemed him to be and others out there. I can admit when I'm wrong, I'm not afraid of that. The reality is this is going to bring up that this guy is injury prone, he's too light, all this garbage now. But ultimately, you got to wonder... How he can come back? Hopefully, this isn't a serious neck injury for the guy.
1: Well, even didn't look good. Go ahead, Jose. No.
0: Didn't look good, but he did move. So, I mean, it's not, it doesn't look like anything. That's I mean, when you're talking about a guy's neck, it's obviously concerning, and those are the types of things that can be career-ending. But the fact that he was moving is encouraging. Hopefully, just a stinger, and he's back out there next week. But. But you're right. It does open Ryan Pace up for some criticism. His, his first round, his first ever first-round pick, Kevin White, has missed so much time at this point. Leonard Floyd is proving that he is a, a good football player, but he's also had some injury issues. And then just pointing at the Zach Miller injury, when we discussed this group of tight ends in the offseason, we did say that you needed to address it. Even, mm-hmm. with tying, uh, even with locking down Zach Miller, you know that the guy is injury-prone and you needed to have a solid backup in there, and that's not the case. With Zach Miller's season likely being over, we're going to get several weeks here of Logan Paul. Oh, up, my up, God. Up. It's, this guy doesn't belong <laughs> on your roster. He's going to be your starter. So while Ryan Pace has done a good job and you know I, he, he can't be criticized too heavily for Many of the moves because he's made this roster younger and he's improved it in many areas. But there are a few position groups that you look at and you just wonder what he was doing
1: there. Backup quarterback being another. Well, and maybe with the tight ends, we might get the first look at Daniel Brown, (laughs) the tight end who was signed literally a month ago and has yet to be active in an NFL game for the Bears. I mean, he's inactive for this game too. And I mean, I'm happy to see more Ben Broniker, but I mean, jeez. What is this guy's roster spot being used for? And what is Paul CK's nine snaps doing for your offense? He picked up a first down. Great job. Get somebody in there who can play more than nine snaps. Holy crap.
2: I think it goes back to now having a plan. You you had an opportunity. Jose and I talked about it. We talked about it on Twitter. Uh, It wasn't just us either. It was uh, Shane Marsaw. You had an opportunity to pick up a talented athlete that gives you looks like a, uh, Miller in Pruitt, Michael Pruitt. He went unclaimed. He's now back at the Vikings. You should have pounced on that opportunity when you had a chance. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully, you could do that coming up this week because you're loaded with injuries now. Now you're a guard, another outside linebacker. You got to... Crevon LeBlanc, I don't know how long he's going to be out. It's what Jose said, it's become a match unit. But that tight end position, Logan Paulson, A, shouldn't even be on the roster, and B, is
1: now your starter? You have
2: big issues there.
1: Uh, Are you guys concerned at all about, you know, as the injuries pile up, that becoming more and more of a, quote-unquote, valid excuse for John Fox as to why the Bears are gone. It's like, oh, well, they lost this one because of injuries, and they lost the other seven because of injuries, so we better give him another year because of all the injuries. I mean, obviously, the three of us don't really believe that's the reason the Bears have lost. There's certainly a lot of other reasons for these eight losses, but do you worry at all that upper management can try and pass these losses off on that injury excuse as they continue to pile up throughout the season?
0: I think if the decision is in Ryan Pace's hands, I I don't think that those will be used as a valid reason to keep him around. I think he's – I think Ryan Pace is smarter than that. Now, if if he's being handcuffed by his management, then, I mean, they could very well use those excuses. It's like we discussed on the podcast. We could very well get another year or two of John Fox on They could just sell us his resume all over again.
2: So I I think it hinges on who's going to be responsible for making that decision. And if it isn't Ryan Pace, then shame on the Bears. This is what I talked about in my Daily Dose rant last Monday after what was horrific loss. Here it is again. I don't think the politics and the red tape should be In the decision-making of this guy's future, it's clear he's not getting it done. The decision to manipulate the Jay Cutler thing all the way down to not starting Jordan Howard, to seeing Howard out again today. And the continuous stupidity of this football team is on the head coach. He's making these calls. The 51-yard field goal, not going for it. Not giving your opportunity to win. The continued predictability, as Jose pointed out, in the toss plays. Also, the zone blocking scheme. You're down to your second and third guards. You're in an NFL football game. Help them out by using angles and man-on-man blocking with a big, powerful back. But, no, we're going to continue to try to zone it out and run ourselves ragged and get beat up it became so predictable that their linebackers are shooting backdoor gaps and getting after the running back in the backfield, throwing Langford down for a loss of 12. It's ridiculous. And that's the kind of stuff that doesn't happen to well-run organizations.
1: Well, and Shane messaged me and pointed out that Alex Brown said that injuries are the reason. uh, Alex Brown says you have to give John Fox a pass because of injuries. Yeah, there we go. Here we go, Jose. That's a a great cast they have over on. I think that's CSN. you got Lance Briggs and Alex Brown and Jim Miller, three former Bears who are all stand-up guys who never have anything (laughs) wild to say about the team, certainly.
0: Not like they have anything against the organization.
1: (laughs) Let's
2: continue this misery of coaching with diabolical decisions to not make change. Let's make excuses. The reality Lauren. is, you're in that football game. Not only are you in it, you're up. The coaching helped you lose that game, in my opinion, and that's where you lie. Go ahead, host Lauren.
1: Uh, as you say, we, we've talked about it before on the show, but I know on Twitter there are still fans that don't quite get the idea about not becoming – you know, they say, well, if we fire John Fox, then we become the Cleveland Browns because, you know, it's just a revol- You know, it's a revolving door of head coach if you fire John Fox – when is that going to stop? So I, I know we've talked about it before, but Phil, explain one more time, without a 140-character tweet limit here, why that's a dumb <laughs> argument? Because I, I think it needs—I think it's worth explaining again to people that don't quite see it.
2: Well, here it is, in a nutshell: When you recognize that there's talent on a football team, and you start to recognize the head coach is talking down to you. And the media and everybody else in his way with a team that's not performing up to their full potential and completely making decisions that are going to cross the, the, uh, the success off the list for your football team. It's like a train without a conductor. It's going to come to an end. The track will end with destruction. In order to prevent that, you need to hire a new conductor that's going to stand up and face the music and be up front with the plan and with, with the team and where the expectation of it is. The lies and the politics and all of the stupidity with the personnel decisions alone, you are looking at a guy that's a dead man walking in my eyes. And I don't know how anyone can excuse the and make excuses up for the injury map of what's going on, but ultimately have fingers pointing at the quarterback. So you can't have it both ways, folks. you got to look at it for what it is. got to win football games, play with a chip on your shoulder, and have a plan. John Fox has admitted they don't have a plan, and that is a problem. And you look at this team, it's running down the tracks, And John Fox is leading the charge, and he's going to talk down to you today. He's going to tell you how close it was and how they had a great week. And, you know, it's on to the next game, and it's on to the next piece of pile of crap. That's not winning coaching. You
1: need somebody else at that position, Lauren. Jose, anything to add about that that idea of not becoming the Cleveland Browns, even if you do fire another head coach after only two seasons?
0: I think even mentioning the Cleveland Browns, is you know, I, I said we're bordering on Cleveland Browns' ineptitude on the podcast. But, I mean, by comparison, really, the talent level that's on this roster, you've seen head coaches come in and have a one- or two-year turnaround if there's talent on the roster. You saw it in Kansas City with Andy Reid. You saw it in Seattle with Pete Carroll. You saw it in Atlanta with Dan Quinn. If you trust your general manager to acquire talent and there's talent on the roster, you have a chance to get yourself back into contention quickly. I think the one key being that these these coaches who have come in and had pretty quick turnarounds had, an, had either an established quarterback there or drafted a quarterback who was, gone on to be an effective NFL starter. So I think you can become the Cleveland Browns if you don't have your quarterback position situated. You know, if there's if that's a big question mark and you have a revolving Dolora head coach, yes you can compare the Chicago Bears to the Cleveland Browns. But I think with the talent on this roster, it's not the same conversation. If you can if you get a guy in here and he brings in his his quarterback with the talent that's on the roster and what you acquire this offseason, I mean, I really do think that you can get this
1: team back into contention fairly quickly. And I, I totally agree. I mean, you, you look at the growth that we started to see last season. At 6-10, at and 10, there were so many games we talk about every every time that lost by four or fewer points. They were right in against Denver. They were right in against San Francisco. I mean, that, that was a team that played better than their record indicated. And, and, and that was sort of the glimpse of... What talent you had on this roster when you you know when you gave your quarterback time to throw, even even when he wasn't getting it, he was still playing well. He didn't have receivers. The Running game was was kind of up and down, and your defense was kind of up and down. And you know we saw it even in a lot of games this year that the Bears have been in it. You've got a defense that's been able to keep teams down for at least three quarters, and when their offense holds up the their end of the bargain for four quarters, they can keep teams down. And but but there's so many times when it, all the fingers go right to the coaching staff as to why the Bears lose games, and and that's just unacceptable and you you get you can't compare it to the Cleveland Browns when you know they like you said they don't have a quarterback or they don't have a running back and they don't have receivers and they don't have a defense I mean the Cleveland Browns the, the big difference between the Bears and the Browns is that the Bears have a general manager who knows how to acquire talent and as long as your revolving door isn't there as well which it doesn't need to be at all then I think that's what separates you from the bad the worst of the worst franchises I mean Pace certainly has to nail his next quarterback pick and assuming he gets the opportunity, he has to absolutely nail his next head coaching pick. But I I I'd really be curious to know where the dynamic sits in the front office as far as how much he picked John Fox versus the reports that Ted Phillips and them were, were overruling him and you know, really what Ryan Pace could do if he had all the reins off or if he already had all the reins off and it has been his full control because he is sort of the key to avoiding becoming the Cleveland Browns. He has to prove He has to continue to prove that he is a competent GM, and so far, so good, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it always boils down to winning. If I'm asking Jose and you, if you feel comfortable moving forward with John Fox and the answer is no, then you need to make a change now because what are you preventing? More losing next year? Is it all of a sudden not going to be predictable with eight tosses? and wide receiver screens and empty sets on third and two, the same stuff that we're talking about time and time again is going to all of a sudden go away with a young quarterback back there. It might get worse. So get a guy who's maniacal and a winner and aggressive, an aggressive coach that's going to be up front and be honest and take the pressure off the quarterback, whoever it's going to be, and be the personality of this franchise. The head coaching position is the most important free agent signing that this team needs. We all, I thought John Fox was going to be the opposite of Mark Tressman. I feel sometimes he's bad or worse than him in the political, gimmicky, talk down to you answers that aloof. Attitude that white boy from Harvard, frat boy, <laughs> th- thinks his shit don't stink and is going to talk down to everybody in the building when the ultimate product on the field is the worst and could and should be better as Jose's talking. You got talent here. You're in games, yet you're never victorious. And there's never a, a game where I could say, wow, they really coached their asses off today and stole one. That's not happening here in Chicago. That tells me it's time to move the, the the flag, throw the red flag out for John Fox. Come Black Monday, we're challenging his hiring
1: and we're getting rid of him. Do you think there's a win-loss record? It, you know, like how many more losses would it take? There, Lauren. Yeah, go. Oh, excuse me. I'm. I was. I was muted to you, but not on the. <laughs> not on the. Uh, uh, okay. Side. Not on the, the broadcast, but do you think there is a, a win loss record that is bad enough for John Fox to get fired before Black Monday? I mean, realistically, I mean obviously if they don't win any more games, he's going to get fired at the end of the year anyway. But I mean, is there you know would they fire him at two and twelve? Would they fire him at two and ten? I mean he's two and eight now. I mean is is there any? I mean if they is there if they continue to lose out, is there any chance they fire him before the season is over at this point? Are they gonna just let them finish it out, even if they completely lose out? Even to you know, because they play Tennessee next week, which is a team they should absolutely beat with talent on the roster. But you don't know. Then it's San Francisco and Detroit. If they lose those three games, which at this point <laughs> even for the Bears seems unlikely, but if they lose, I mean, if they lose those three games, you can't go to Green Bay or sorry host Green Bay with John Fox as your head coach at that point, right? I mean, at, how how bad does it have to get? in the regular season, to make him go before Black Monday.
2: I'm going to let Jose answer that one first. Well,
0: I think they go one and two in those three games, to be honest with you. And I don't think that there's any chance that they're firing him before the end of the season at this point. I I just can't see it. If they were going to, I think it would have happened by now. If he's not fired on Monday, this Monday, he's your head coach at, at the end of the season. It's He's going to see
2: Black Monday at, at minimum, in my opinion. Well, that's that's a great point, Jose. I honestly thought he should have been fired last week, giving Vic Fangio an opportunity to take the reins. A guy who wants to be a head coach, who's so well respected throughout the league for his defensive mind and his defensive uh, co- as a defensive coordinator. Give him the opportunity, test drive the guy till the end of the season, which. Why wait till Black Monday? Why wait this stupidity out? That's the the dumb way to handle this. As a businessman, I want to see what I have in the building now so I ultimately can weigh that out to when it's time to make a decision. We already see what we have in John Fox. I honestly believe that this isn't going to change next year either. So if you're worried about the amount you're going to pay him, Start looking at the franchise tag of money that you're paying Alshon Jeffrey in $14 million. A coach's salary could be swallowed up. You're paying that off the books. It doesn't count towards your cap. It's a billion-dollar business. Not a worry that I'm paying another coach. This isn't the Cleveland Browns, in my opinion. It's about getting the right leader in the locker room and holding players accountable in the right way, not benching a guy because he fumbled a book football. Let's not forget all these, you know, things that he's done that have just baffled and and rattled the mind, so to speak. But I agree with Jose. If he's not fired tomorrow, I see this organization and their outside consultant for the seventh time (laughs) keeping this guy to Black Monday, then firing him. The new coach Fangio doesn't want to work with. Now we're restarting again. And that's when you become a joke. Instead, you have an opportunity to test drive Fangio. Do you understand
1: what I'm saying, guys? I mean, it's it's just good business. Yeah, I feel like, to, to me, I, I, I disagree. I think if there's a point when it's obvious that the players have given up on their coach, I could see them pulling the trigger before the year's done. Because, I mean, these players fought against New York. I mean, they were, they were fighting hard in that game to the very end. They were in it to the end. You know, Jay was trying. The defense, everyone seemed to be swarming to the ball. I mean, Tracy Porter... Did his typical few plays without a lot of effort, and but that's been the same all season. So there's not nothing new there. But you know, guys wanted to win. Guys seemed like they were fighting for each other and playing well. But if they get to be two and ten, and guys stop fighting for each other, that could be enough for Ryan Pace to say, "All right, I'm done here. I'm done. I'm done watching this." You know, it's one thing if Fox can get him to play hard until the end of Week 17, and even if they're sitting at you know three and 12, playing the Minnesota Vikings and getting creamed, they're still fighting hard and playing for each other and all that, then sure, I can see keeping John Fox, but if they reach a point in a couple weeks where guys just have given up the way they did under Mark Trestman, I'd have to see them making that change if if players just aren't playing hard.
2: How about play hard but play dumb? At what point do you give up on that? I mean, I don't know. I've never questioned a guy's ability to motivate his team I'm questioning the decision-making and the stupidity, and I think Jose was the one who tweeted out he holds 20 guys accountable but not a certain amount of the other 53, and that message is not falling on deaf ears. So I just don't see it. Jose, you see this guy coming back?
0: Next season, I mean, I would hope not, but
2: <laughs>
0: uh, you know, you just, you just, you really never know. And like I said, it hinges on who's making the decision. And, and, you know, the point you just made that that was a, I, uh, tweeted that out. He holds twenty or fifty-three guys accountable. That's a huge deal. I mean, throw football out the window. Anybody who, who's employed, who works with other people, knows that when you have a group of people and certain employees are you know, are treated mm-hmm. differently. It's it's really horrible for morale. I mean, there's no reason why your rookie running back should be benched after his first NFL fumble, and you know other players are just skating by and going out there and playing mediocre football week after week.
1: I.e., Shane McClellan. <laughs> you know? Well, excellent point. One of those guys. You know, we talked about him in the past, but sort of the surprise of the day was. Dion Bush starting at safety with Harold jones Corte completely not playing a snap on, Did he on defense. Did play a snap? Not a single one. I mean, he was benched straight up. I mean, Chris Brzezinski only played one snap in that dime situation when he was playing down in the slot, but it was all Amos and Dion Bush every single snap of this game, and there was just no no jones Corte, no real reason for it. We also didn't see much Jonathan Bullard. It was almost all Cornelius Washington- a little yep. bit of C.J. Yep. Wilson. None of that new guy, Jimmy Staten, who they just signed. Uh, it was it wasn't encouraging to see only 13 snaps of, of Samacho, who hadn't been playing that well in previous weeks. But even on offense, too, you look at 22 snaps for Deontay Thompson, 23 for Josh Bellamy, 25 for Eddie Royal, zero snaps for Kadim Carey, after he hey, had been there. more involved in the offense. I mean, there's just not a huge rhyme or reason to a lot of these roster. Playing time decisions at this point, and you, you gotta feel weird if you're Kadim Carey getting zero snaps, and you watch a guy like Logan Paulson playing 33, or you, or even when you watch Jordan Howard drop four passes in the game, you gotta kind of be feeling like, oh, I would have caught that, I would have had a first down on that play, even if you know you're not gonna bench Jordan Howard or anything, but you got you got to feel for a guy like that who feels like he could do a better job than what he's seeing on the field.
0: There's no rhyme or reason to it, and then week to week. you've Really, it's a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get. You've seen guys, it's like you saw with Jordan Howard, he had, he had a 100-yard game, and the following week he was out by Kadeem Carey. I mean, there really hasn't been any rhyme or reason for any of this, going back to even the preseason. I mean, it's just, the first, even the first few games of the season, I remember saying that they had a preseason feel to it with some of the personnel rotation that outside linebacker and defensive It was almost like. It was scripted, and that should never be the case. Just to uh, throw one thing out there that I noticed uh, today with Deion Bush being out there, I think that did hinder the defense a little bit in the sense that they did not disguise any coverages that I noticed. Now, I, I wasn't watching the secondary on every play. Obviously, my eyes can't be on the defensive line and on the secondary at the same time, but it seemed like... It was fairly easy for Eli Manning to get a, a very accurate pre snap read as to what the coverage was going to be. Uh, thinking back to the Sterling Shepard touchdown, I looked down uh, and just watching the safety's alignment, I immediately knew that it was going to be middle of the field open, and of course they hit it with the seam route. And he, If you go back and watch that play, Manning, really he released the ball. It was almost like he had his eyes closed. He knew where he was going with it. So i I do think that that played a factor in today's game they didn't They didn't rotate their sixties very much, showing what would have looked like a single high look and then rotating and, and giving them too high or anything like that that I noticed
1: i'm I'm pulling up the numbers on that right now um and it'll it'll take me a second to count them but i I don't recall seeing a lot of that myself. um Let's see looking through here. A lot of uh, – oh, you know what? It's not <laughs> – I forgot. PFF waits to the All-22 to uh, pull those numbers. So I, I will not have those numbers until tomorrow. So never mind. False alarm there.
2: Well, let me ask this and turn this around a little bit on the positive. Jose, you got uh, a following from Bears Bar Room. There's a bunch of great fans on Twitter. I know you tweeted out some picks. Talk about the energy there at the field. Uh, you met some of these guys that follow from all the way from across the pond in Ireland. Bear fans, did they show up today, and what was the feeling like in the stadium?
0: Oh yeah, there were definitely a ton. I mean, when at the tailgate, there were so many in Lock K that it almost felt like it was one to one giant the bear fan ratio there. And you guys were rabid. We had a good time. I met. Uh, Carr, who's pretty popular on Twitter with his strong opinions. Uh, <laughs> Sandy from uh, Scotland, actually.
2: Scotland, my God, Sandy.
0: No, that's my fault. I tweeted out Ireland and I kicked myself after. But
2: yeah. Yeah, I saw
0: that. <laughs> also met Darcy from Chicago. Uh, there were a number of people that, that follow us on Twitter that were there at the tailgate. We had a, we had a great time. And I know that. You know, they, maybe not all these fans expected a W, but they went in there and they fought just like the team did, and they, you know, they're surrounded by a bunch of rabid, drunk, giant fans, but they were just as loud. So we went in there and we represented.
2: Well, that's good to hear. It's great that this fan base is throughout the world, you know, and. I just feel like it's important to recognize those people that pay good money, travel far distances, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you're looking at a team with a losing record and that engine seems to be traveling down that track without that engineer. And I think time for change is now, Lauren. It's just coming one and one together Bears fans deserve better than this. This is a lying and almost arrogant administration from top to bottom. I said it on Twitter this week. I got amped up. The media relations department, the Lunch with Larry episodes (laughs) on websites, their whole top to bottom, Ted Phillips all the way down, and the only guy – that's going to decide whose fate should stay is Ryan Pace. Put the ball in his court, not just the, the player personnel. I want him having the head coach. I want him to hire somebody who's going to head up the new media relations department. They're going to have a whole different feel about this arrogant football team that deserves and only lives through 1985. The time for that is over, okay? It's 2016 going to be 2017. I think it needs to be said, it needs to be heard, that this Ted Phillips has to go, and so does every part of this administration. The owners are going to be the owners. They're not selling the team. But they can certainly give over the power to a football guy. He's your GM. Ted, retire. Goodbye. It's time for football people and reinvent what... The Chicago Bears are today,
1: and what it's really gonna take is another crying George McCaskey at the press conference saying, "Mama's pissed." You know what I mean? Like, if <laughs> it, it feels she's like she's
2: ninety-three, she's <laughs> ninety-three.
1: Yeah, like is how is She yelling
2: at everyone to get off her lawn. To, <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> how, how many more of these losses can her old heart take? I mean, really, she's she's gotta feel like you know, you know, like that was kind of the thought when they hired John Fox is that. You know they're hiring a win now, coach, because Mama wants to see a championship before she dies. But you, you gotta, you gotta see what you're seeing on the field now and feel like you're not any closer to a championship than you were two years ago when you fired Mark Trestman. And if, if Mama's getting impatient and, and her heart can't take much more of this, then she needs to she needs to tell her son or her grandsons and the whole family that she's pissed again and let George go and cry up in front of the in front of the media and give his Ordained spiel again about you know like I think it'll lose a little bit of its touch this time around, but at the same time I think that's what it's going to take to get a decision to be made here. Because if if somehow she is accepting of what has gone on on the field this year, then I I don't think that's gonna I don't really think that's gonna see any changes coming. But at the same time, you know you you have to you have to think that she is going to be pissed if she was pissed about what happened under Mark Tressman and it just feels. It just feels like she's. I mean, because Jose, do you know? Doesn't she go to every road game? That sounds like a thing that I've heard in the past, and that she she can't be happy with the way that this one ended. You said she's in attendance every road game. That's. I, I've heard that in the past. I think Dan Pompey mentioned that in his in his reading that she does go to every road game. Did, could, oh, yeah, could you no. smell her?
0: <laughs> you know what? I think. <laughs> If her heart is taking all of this punishment, because my 31-year-old heart can barely take it, I, she must be heavily medicated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> got to be. And, and you know, we've actually lost Phil Itoshin on the call here. We're trying to get him back in. But for now, Jose, we've got five minutes left, less than five minutes left. And it's just you and me to close out the show because I don't think... I, I don't think we're going to get Phil back on, so I, I want to look a little bit ahead to next week against the Tennessee Titans. I mean, we've got Zach Miller out for the year, Leonard Floyd out for the year, Josh Sitton potentially out. Who, who You know, Obviously, Floyd was one of those guys that's like, oh, we want to see how he develops for the rest of the year in these, these last few games that aren't meaning a whole lot on the, on the win-loss sheet. So what, what other young players now with Floyd out are you going to be keeping an eye on next week and in future weeks? As, as the Bears try and at least see what they have in some developmental players.
0: Well, I think next week it, it, it presents a big opportunity for Ben Broniker, obviously, to see more snaps and be awesome to see what you have there. Obviously, you want to see uh, continued development from Jordan Howard. Uh, and then in the secondary, you you still have DeAndre Houston-Carson and Nick Kwiatkowski among your inactives uh, pretty often. I believe Kwiatkowski did play today. I did see him on uh, special teams, but not seeing defensive snaps. And I'd like to see him get rotated in there and, and obviously uh, make some plays. and See see what you have. I understand that you have Danny Trevathan and Jarrell Freeman, and it's difficult to take those those guys off the field, but... Know, giving quickkowski a snap here and there really isn't going to—it's not going to hurt your defense. Uh, Houston Carson is a guy that, at this point, I mean, should be active. If you feel that he can contribute on special teams, you have to activate him. Chris Przinsky does not belong on your field at this point. I mean, you know what you have there. He missed a—he uh, uh, missed a key tackle there on on special teams today, and that's really supposed to be his. His calling card is he's supposed to be a, a solid special teamer, a guy that's uh, not not flashy but gets guys to the ground, and he's not even doing that well at this point. So I don't see the upside in playing him. I, bl- I wasn't a huge
1: fan of Houston Carson coming out of the draft, but at this point I want to see what he is on oh, and- the field. And PFF actually has Chris Brzezinski credited with three missed tackles on special teams today, plus a penalty three. on special teams. So he could not have had much of a worse performance on his what's supposed to be his best area of the field. But we're down to just over two minutes left on the podcast or on the, on the show. Jose. So I don't want to try and make this another close call like we've had the last couple of weeks. So, Jose, uh, we'll, we'll let you go here and then we'll, we'll wrap up the show. Thanks again for calling in live from New York from watching the game. Hope you had a good time. All right. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Jose. So, Phil, two minutes left. Give me one player that you're going to have your eye on for the rest of the season with Leonard Flint up. Just one. Because Jose talked a little bit about getting Quitkowski a few more snaps. But is there any other young player in particular that you'll have your eye on?
2: Well, I think you got to look at
1: Broniker because Paulson is so
2: bad, folks. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what his agent's smoking, but maybe... He could pass it over here because this is – he's a bad football player. I think you got to look at what Ben Broniker can do at the tight end and the kid Daniel Brown. Is that his name? Yep. (laughs) Daniel Brown. you got to see what he could do or make a a claim of some sort. Like I said, a Mike Cole Pruitt would be ripe for the plucking right now, but perfect move athletic tight end to help you here because – the loss of Zach Miller and just like Leonard Floyd real quick, that Zach Miller healthy card players are going to be out there calling at him. He can never stay healthy. He can never stay healthy. A freak step on his foot breaks his foot. So I'm looking at Broniker. Jose took my guy. If we're being a hundred percent, I wanted to see more quick Kowski as well. I just think, you could use him even as the outside linebacker and put him in rush situations
1: because he's so physical from that standpoint. Well, And, and that's going to have to do it for us here at Bears Hour Live. Uh, yeah, I know we'd both also like to see another Danny be involved in the offense, oh, okay. but that's a whole other longer debate. We've got about 20 seconds <laughs> on the show, so that's going to have to do it. Thanks for everyone for listening, and another thanks to Jose Cotto for calling in live from New York offering some great perspective but uh join us again thursday at 7th actually we're not sure what we're going to do for thanksgiving night we might we might skip it this week because it's the titans but we'll see uh keep up keep following us on twitter and we'll give you updates but that'll do it for bears hour live lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office